You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at buffalorumlings.com and the host of Buffalo Rumlings Q&A on the Buffalo Rumlings Podcast Network. The Buffalo Bills righted the ship once again, beating the New Orleans Saints on Thanksgiving night. But that was a few days ago now because of the fact that it was on a Thursday and and we record and release it on uh, Tuesdays. So... We'll still talk about my takeaways from the game really quickly, but most of the questions that came in were about the New England Patriots and moving forward. So with that in mind, I wanted to remind you that you can send in your questions for future episodes at 716-508-0405. You can text or call that line and leave a voicemail. You can email us, buffalorumblings at sbnation.com. You can tweet us at rumblingsqna with the word and spelled out in the middle. Instagram and Facebook messages to the official Buffalo Rumblings account will get to me as well. So there's lots of ways you can get in touch with the show. But as we move into this, you know, back nine of the season, the back end of the 2021 schedule, the Buffalo Bills have some hugely important games coming up against the New England Patriots. And so that is really the focus of, you know, what we're going to be moving forward with. You know, whether it's at buffalorumblings.com in the podcasts or even in the national narrative, you know, this Bills versus Patriots game is on ESPN Monday Night Football. It's going to get a ton of coverage this week on ESPN. And if you look at the rest of the schedule, it's by far the sexiest game um, on the calendar. You know, the Broncos uh, are kind of still in it um, against the Chiefs in their Sunday Night Football, so they'll get some play. Raven Steelers always gets. You know some attention even though the Steelers are you know 500 right now the Ravens are first place in the AFC and so you'll see you know some narratives about the Steelers can play their way back into this thing and you know the Ravens trying to keep holding on to the top spot but that Bills versus Patriots game because of its marquee status as Monday Night Football the Patriots you know coming back from you know their down year last year it's going to be a huge story they've won six straight games and um, it's, it's just going to dominate media coverage and of course like I said it dominated our questions for this week but let's take a look back really quickly and I'll, I'll go quick um, at the New Orleans Saints game and my takeaways from there I think this game really started and ended with the defense um, the Bills were able to feast on the backups on the New Orleans Saints uh, the Saints were 0 for 6 on third downs in the first half and took another almost 12 minutes to in the into the third quarter to get their first third down conversion of the game they finished with just 190 total yards, 3.3 yards per play, and that includes garbage time stats. Uh, it just was a great, like, individual efforts from Mario Addison, atoning for his mistakes the previous week. Ed Oliver continued his awesome play, 
Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano were everywhere. Um, we'll probably end up talking about Ed Oliver a heck of a lot more over the course of the rest of the season. But, you know, the defense really played great in all aspects. And they're going to get started with Tulele back, I think, for this game against the New England Patriots. Um, but we'll talk about a, a different um, a different loss later in the podcast. Um, Matt Breida and the Frida movement uh, made the run game difference. He was more decisive. He hit holes faster than Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. And then Devin Singletary had a really nice second half. Um, as the Bills were putting away the game, they just kept feeding Singletary in the second half, and he just kept going and getting all those extra yards, exactly what we wanted from him. So I think you're going to see Singletary and Breida be the uh, running back options going forward for the foreseeable future. <clears throat> um, Marquez Stevenson uh, returned his first NFL punts, and I thought he looked really comfortable back there, even with his one uh, muffed punt return. Um, I know Isaiah McKenzie's not happy about being demoted. Uh, he retweeted a couple things in support of his play over the last two seasons. But um, I, I think Stevenson looked more comfortable back there, and um, he sh- should probably be the punt returner and the kick returner going forward. The kickoff ex- execution, something you know most people don't necessarily focus on, but I thought it was uh, pretty next level. Uh, Tyler Bass had two great kickoffs to start the game. They were high into like the one-yard line into the corner, so you could have a really nice kickoff coverage set up. Um, you knew that the guy was going to be bringing it out because it was going to be really close to the goal line. You knew it was going to be on one side of the field because you were able to angle it. And it was high enough where you could get the the coverage units down there to cover the kick. And um, it really helped because New Orleans started at their own 17, their own 17, their own 21, and their own 14 um, on four different drives in that game because of the awesome kickoff coverage. So kudos to them. Um Uh, on the kickoff coverage. I think Josh Allen had a really nice day, even though he had two interceptions. Um, People are going to look at the stat line and see those two interceptions and think he had a really bad day. Um, One of those obviously came when his arm was hit and he was waiting for a receiver to come open. Um, And so, like, you can at least think about giving him a pass there. I mean, maybe he held the ball too long and that's on him. But I didn't see a whole lot of other options before he pulled the trigger on that pass. Uh, the other one, Drew Brees actually gave him a, a, a pass for on the on the NBC broadcast. And it's interesting because I've heard a lot of other people say that it was a, a terrible interception, a bad decision, whatever. But Stefan, it, it's obviously a read route with your receiver. And so Stefan Diggs turns around and he has to go one way or the other. He goes either back towards the middle of the field or out to the outside of the field. And he has to read the leverage of the defender. Now, Diggs goes outside, Allen through inside and it was picked off. So obviously it was a little bit of a miscommunication or a misread, um, probably by Josh Allen. And that's, like I said, okay. Because, I mean, what did he have? Three balls hit the ground the entire game or something like that? Yeah. So he's 23 of 28 with two interceptions. So only three of his passes hit the ground um, that entire game. Four touchdowns. He was uh, decisive. He had eight runs for 43 yards. Um, he just... He had a really nice game in a blowout, and that's what you need from your quarterback. And obviously we can do without the interceptions. I, I would be much happier. But he played within himself, took what the defense gave him, and um, didn't make too many costly mistakes. 
And those are really my takeaways from the game. I went really quickly. Um, and But the biggest reason was we didn't really know what was going on with Tredavious White. And so we have to talk about that here. Um, and that's the question I've been getting a lot this week is what are the Bills going to do without Tredavious White? Uh, we didn't know at the time at the end of the game that he was going to be lost for the end of the year with uh, a torn ACL. Uh, so he'll be out, he'll rehab, hopefully he'll be ready to go for the start of the 2022 season. Uh, but the first option that the Bills have is Dane Jackson, the 2020 seventh round pick. Um, he's going to step in and obviously be a big downgrade from Tredavious White. Um, but that's, you know, that's not saying a whole lot. Tredavious White is an all-pro cornerback and, and Dane Jackson hasn't been able to do that in this league. Um, he's inconsistent for sure. Uh, but he has a lot of really nice plays in his bag as well. So he's made good plays. He's been beaten badly on other times. The Bills are going to have to adjust their secondary, and I think that's the biggest loss is that when they had Tredavious White on another team's wide receiver, they could really leave him alone most of the time, and he would be able to cover that wide receiver. And now they're going to have to shift some of that safety help so that Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde won't be able to play as much of the reaction. They won't be able to play as much of the distraction. They won't be able to, to do as much in the way of, you know, um, hiding coverages. They'll have to be a little bit more out there. And it's going to take away from the Bills defense, obviously. But it's going to hurt more the rest of the secondary than it does necessarily that one individual spot because they were able to just do so much to help Levi Wallace and so much to confuse quarterbacks because they could just leave Trey White alone on that other guy. So I think that's going to be the biggest problem. But we have Tremaine Edmonds back. We have Matt Milano back. Um, so it, they've got their full complement of back seven guys outside of Tredavious White, who's going to be gone for the rest of the season. Um, I'm looking forward to them adding at least one more person. They added another guy to their practice squad on... On Monday, uh, waiting for potentially another ad later. Um, I really wish they would add some sort of veteran. They've at least added a guy who was in camp with the Bills this offseason who could step in and play if he had to, but I'd also like to see them add somebody that maybe hasn't been in the system but has a little bit more talent or a little bit more experience to start to learn the system and potentially make an impact in the playoffs. And I'm sure that they're looking at all their options. Um, Brandon Bean has been you know, very good about adding depth players during the season, and so that doesn't concern me um, that he's like, you know, asleep at the wheel or anything, but I just, I really want to see some more help because, you know, if Dane Jackson goes down or if Levi Wallace goes down, then you're playing Saran Neal out there or Cam Lewis, and man, I don't want to see that. They need to add cornerback bodies at this point. Um, I'm not even worried necessarily about you know a ton of talent. They need to add bodies right now. And um, I'm not going to play Captain Hindsight. I know it's been going around a lot. You know, I certainly was advocating for them to draft a cornerback um, in the 2020 NFL Draft. That was my second round kind of dream pick instead of Boogie Basham. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't going to bash them. <laughs> nice pun. Um, but I wasn't going to bash them for drafting defensive end when I'd been pounding the table for them to draft defensive end for years. Um, so, I mean, Captain Hindsight, you can look back and say, yeah, they should have drafted a cornerback, then they would have the depth. But, you know, I don't know. They they put Rashad, Rashad Wild Goose on their practice squad this year because they felt comfortable with all those guys. So maybe Dane Jackson ends up on the practice squad um, if they draft a guy in the second round. And then Dane Jackson's gone right now anyway. But you have a second round pick that you can plug in. So I, 
I really would have preferred that to Boogie Basham at the time, and I said so, and I'll say it again now. But, you know, Rashad Wild Goose isn't on the team anymore because the Jets signed him off the practice squad. So they don't really have a ton of options um, right now for folks that are in their system. They just don't have the depth on their roster. And that's why he was probably the second most important player on the roster behind Josh Allen. They just didn't have the depth at cornerback to be able to withstand a Tredavious White injury. And they've been very lucky that Tredavious White hasn't been injured over the last several years because they've kept super thin numbers at cornerback all these years. Sometimes just keeping four cornerbacks on the roster at a time. And, you know, it's something that really always kind of irked me um, that Sean McDermott thought he could get great secondary play, even if, you know, one of those guys went down. They have depth at safety. Uh, they have depth at linebacker. They have depth on the defensive line, but they just never have had depth at cornerback. So that's enough talking about the past. Let's move on to the future after we take this quick break. Don't go anywhere. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, we're back, and let's head over to Twitter and get right to your questions. Mark Cardenas asks us, do we expect to see a defensive strategy centered around the Patriots' running game or their passing game? Well, let's take a look at the the stats from the New England Patriots offense just to kind of get the ground running. They're 7th in points scored, but 14th in yards. Their passing attempts are 23rd in the NFL, but they're 14th in yards. And their rushing attempts are 12th, and their yards are 12th. So they're a middle-of-the-road offense in every regard except for scoring. And that's because their defense has been so good at getting them the ball with great field position. They're number one in uh, points allowed. They're number four in yards allowed. And their average drive start has really benefited from that. Uh, you know, the, if, the, if you think about it, having to drive the length of the field 75 yards after your defense lets off a score is different than, you know, be, being able to drive 30 yards to get into field goal range or 40 yards to get into the field goal range or 50 yards to score a touchdown because your defense pinned the other team back. So let's just start there for a second. I don't think the Patriots have some some world-beating offense that I'm necessarily worried about. You know, Mac Jones has been, you know, a, a good for a rookie. He's uh, had a decent year 
as the quarterback, but he's not, you know, going to push the ball down the field. He's not going to test Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. If he tests the Buffalo Bills passing defense, it's going to be on those short routes, hoping for yards after the catch, um, going up against guys like Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace. And if you watched any of their game on Sunday, that's how he gained a ton of his admittedly low passing yards. They passed for, let's see here, 289 passing yards against the Titans, and at least 40 of them were on one catch and run where it was a crossing route and his receiver made a guy miss, did the little little tap dance on the sideline and got into the end zone. So that's the type of stuff, the, the old school Patriots kind of Julian Edelman um, kind of thing. Wes Welker, you know, get the pass underneath and let them create um, after the catch. And that's the kind of throws that Mac Joe's been Jones has been making all year. So Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are going to be very, very important in this game in that intermediate coverage area. Taron Johnson's probably going to be a big part of it as well since he plays 100% of the snaps. And so if they can take out that middle of the field and make Mac Jones throw to the, uh, um, throw to the outside um, or throw over the top of those linebackers into where Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer hopefully are going to be hanging out. You know, I think that's going to be the best thing that the Bills passing defense can do is try to take away those short crossing routes with their excellent, excellent linebackers. It's going to be key to stop the run with the front four because if the Patriots can establish a solid running game, that's going to draw up the linebackers like they did um, against the Tennessee Titans. And the Bills linebackers had to keep uh, plowing into the line, and then it opened up that intermediate passing game over the top of them and underneath the safeties. So the the Bills defensive line on the run is going to have to take care of that. So obviously that's a little bit of a symbiotic relationship to answer your question. But if you look back at the Patriots offensive output over the last several games, you know, they had 100 yards rushing and 200 90 yards passing against the Titans, but they scored 36 points. Like, that's nuts. They had so many turnovers um, in that game. Four turnovers helped their cause. But they didn't, like, pound them into submission with their, you know, juggernaut offense. They had 394 yards of total offense. Um, Against the Atlanta Falcons, they only had 300 yards of total offense. But again, they scored 25 points because they got four turnovers from their defense. So I'm not necessarily worried about this juggernaut Patriots offense. They've had one game this year, um, or one game in the last month, I should say, against the Cleveland Browns where they had 452 total yards. Against the New York Jets, they had uh, 551 total yards. But outside of that, they've been pretty quiet, pretty tame. Um, Those are obviously their two big offensive performances. They scored 54 points against the Jets and 45 against the Browns. I'm personally looking for a big game out of Star Latulale and Ed Oliver. Hopefully Star Latulale is back from the COVID-19 list and in game shape. Um, It's been, let's see, two weeks since he was placed on the COVID list as of right now. It'll be almost three weeks by the time the Bills play the Patriots. So it's, it's something that you really hope that he's able to come back from. If he's back and Ed Oliver can get into the backfield and be super disruptive to the run game and to Mac Jones, that's, again, how this Bills defense was constructed. Get pressure from the front four, specifically up the middle, and then have your uh, back seven be able to defend the pass 
and the run back there after everything gets disrupted behind the line of scrimmage. And, you know, that's going to be the key against the Patriots. It's going to be the key against the Buccaneers. It's going to be the key, really, their, their entire playoff run. And so that's where I'm looking right now is that disruptive force that is Ed Oliver to step up and really make a big, I don't know, stamp on this season with you know, his play, you know, make that Pro Bowl push, make that, you know, next step push into the, you know, the flash play part of his career on a national stage against a big time opponent in a game the Bills really need to win. So I think the Bills are going to key on that, you know, short passing game. um, And then with their defensive line, try to generate that pressure into the backfield on both runs and passes. So thanks for your question over on Twitter at Rumlinks Q&A. Over to Ian Carmody, who asks us, the Pats are playing well, but come to a hostile and ruckus stadium. Well, that's going to be for sure. Uh, can we stop the run? And does McDermott get outcoached by Bill Belichick? I think Sean McDermott's probably going to get outcoached by Bill Belichick. Um, I don't... <laughs> I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest, probably the greatest coach in NFL history. Uh, I think he's going to get out coached by Bill Belichick. That's not really uh, what something I think about. Um, I'm just hoping he does well enough to not lose the game. Um, but can we stop the run? I think the Bills can stop the run, especially if Star Latulay is back. Um, they're, it's going to be certainly an area of focus for them to get into that backfield to be disruptive, as I already talked about, um, because of the Patriots' ability in the past to take advantage of the Buffalo Bills' run defense and rack up yardage on the ground. And they saw what the Colts did a couple weeks ago and you know what other teams have been able to do to the Bills over the course of the season. So if Star Latula lays back, I do think they have a very good shot at stopping the run. He's been outstanding this year. We don't know what kind of health he's in after... Um, well, I've heard that he was diagnosed with COVID-19. He's been on the COVID-19 list for two weeks, which leads me to, I mean, it pretty much confirms the fact that he has COVID-19 um, and it wasn't just an exposure. If it was an exposure, he'd be out for 10 days uh, minimum, uh, but obviously he's been out for much longer than that. So um, we know it's not an exposure. We know he's been uh, infected with COVID-19. So we'll see how that affected him. It affects everybody differently. Um, you know, whether he was able to keep training during that, whether he was able to keep his weight up during that. Um, you know, obviously we heard about Deion Dawkins going to the hospital for his COVID-19 case, but he also lost weight and um, getting back up to that physical stamina, whether it's your you know breathing endurance or your playing weight, whatever it was, We'll see how that affects Star Latule going forward. So those are some big, big time questions that we just don't have an answer about because Sean McDermott when, hasn't been talking about it when Star Latule is on the COVID-19 list. We just don't have those answers. So thank you for your question, Ian, over on Twitter at Rumlings Q&A. Ron, how does New England take advantage of Tredavis White's absence? Try to target Wallace and Lewis directly or pound the ball knowing Poyer and Hyde have to support the cornerbacks instead of linebackers and defensive line? I don't think they're going to pound the ball to get Poyer and Hyde or to take advantage of Tredavis White's absence um, and get Poyer and Hyde kind of supporting the, the cornerbacks and all that stuff. I think because of the way that the Patriots play defense, they don't push the ball down the field on offense, and when they do, it gets picked off. So those the linebackers are really going to be that key component of the game this week. Um, it's why I did say at one point I wouldn't be surprised if the Bills switched to a 4-3 defense at some point this week 
and had all three linebackers out on the field and had Taron Johnson play a little bit of outside cornerback, even though he has not done that in the NFL. If the Bills are getting gashed in the run game, having him on the field along with A.J. Klein could be an interesting wrinkle. And they had 10, 11 days to get that ready. So, I mean, that there's no indication that that's going to happen. I just said that that was an, a little interesting wrinkle that I wouldn't be against seeing. So how does New England take advantage of, of Trey White's absence? I think they're going to go after Dane Jackson on you know short and intermediate routes, uh, just like they would um, against Levi Wallace if Tredavious White was on the other side. So I don't think it's going to necessarily change their game plan a ton because they don't have the quarterback to be able to take advantage of that, in my opinion. They don't have a guy like like Josh Allen did at the um, end of the game against the New Orleans Saints with his little um, pump fake and then you know being able to beat the cover two shell by bringing up the cornerback with the pump fake and then lasering it in before the safety can get over there. They don't have that in Mac Jones, so I don't think they're going to be able to take advantage of Dane Jackson too much. Now, of course, there's going to be one play or two plays here that they do get to take advantage of Jackson or do get to take advantage of Wallace, and that's going to be expected. But I don't think they're going, they have the quarterback to be able to do it play after play after play after play. So thanks for your question, Ron, over on Twitter at Rumlings Q and A. Greg Felter sent an email into Buffalo Rumlings at SBNation.com. He says, We give a lot of credit to Leslie Frazier for being a great head coach candidate. Do you think he would want to be a head coach again? Or do you think he would prefer to just stay as the defensive coordinator of an elite defense with an MVP caliber quarterback? I think it's very clear that he wants to be a head coach. He interviewed for the Houston Texans job last year, became a finalist for that job before David Culley was given the job. Um, I think he is interested in becoming a head coach again. And I think the Houston Texans was probably his best chance to doing that. Come in and be a stabilizing force in a very, very chaotic situation that was the Houston Texans offseason. He's going to be put into a situation like that. He's probably not going to be the sexy candidate for a team, um, a retread head coach that's defensive minded. But he's a guy that can come in and really settle down a you know, unstable situation somewhere. Um, I think he would have been the perfect candidate for the Texans. Actually, I I would not have gone with David Culley, a first year coach, unless you were just, you know, sacrificing him to uh, the Deshaun Watson mess that is the Houston Texans this year. And, you know, you just weren't really concerned too much about going forward. So uh, Leslie Frazier clearly wants to be a head coach in this league. And um, I'd love to see him be able to do that again. Uh, But it's really going to come down to the right fit and the right situation. So thanks for your question, Greg, over at our email, buffalorumblings at sbnation.com. That's just one of the ways you can send in your questions for next week's episode. You can also call our voicemail line at 716-508-0405. You can send us a text message at that number as well, 716-508-0405. Send us a tweet, rumblingsq and a with the word 
word and spelled out in the middle. You can send us Facebook or Instagram messages as well, and they will make their way to me. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of questions after the Monday night football game against the New England Patriots. Because it's a Monday night game, I'll be recording on Tuesday morning, so make sure you get your questions in right after the game, and I'll answer them (laughs) without much forethought right on the next day, Tuesday morning. I'll talk to you then. Go Bills.